You're listening to the Hunt the High Country podcast, brought to you by AltitudeOutdoors.com. Hey guys, welcome to the first episode of the Hunt the High Country podcast. My name is Brad Carter. Uh, we're excited to get together and start this. It's something that I've thought about for a while um, and just hadn't really pulled the trigger on it. But I think we've got a lot of great staff members and and friends, industry partners that I think can uh, bring a lot of quality content to a podcast. So here we go, episode one. Uh, we're, we're here today in uh, Clay Allen's house here in Green River, Wyoming. We're all looking at all of his deer on the wall here, including this heavy hank buck that he killed in uh when did you kill that buck uh 2012 2012 yeah so thanks for having us clay we appreciate oh, that yeah. glad you glad you could make it and then billy kennington he's one of the newest staff members at altitudeoutdoors.com uh we're happy to have him here too it's good to be here <laughs> pretty impressive group of bucks you got here clay this thanks is awesome thanks so this podcast will be available um on stitcher on itunes uh, and and on the altitudeoutdoors.com website. So yeah, Altitude Outdoors. Uh, for those of you who aren't familiar with it, our slogan there is uh, "Hunt the High Country." It's amazing scenery, and and some of the best memories of my life have, have been made in the High Country. You guys probably can agree with that. Uh, definitely. Um, <laughs> so yeah, yeah you, definitely. You can, Except for meeting Amy, that was probably right. <laughs> of course. Just had to throw that. I, well, <laughs> there you uh, go. <laughs> don't want to get in trouble. So you can check us out at uh, altitudeoutdoors.com. You can follow us on Facebook. We're also on Instagram uh, at altitude underscore outdoors. Sort of some new things we've got going on are the invasion hunts that we've started. And we started a new group on Facebook called Altitude Invasion, which I think I might be biased, but I think it's it's a pretty good group. It's turned it into took, one of the best. Yeah, yeah it took off fast, and uh, people seem interested. They like to share their their photos, and yeah. Uh, once you get your notifications turned off on it, because it's right. so yeah, it's so busy. I I actually I got off the altitude evasion page for a little bit because I kept getting so many notifications, right. and then I re-added it and just edited my notifications. Yeah. So. Yeah, if you if you watch them, it'll take your whole day up. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> But if you guys aren't a part of it, get a part of it. It's a pretty awesome page. If you're, yeah, if you're on Facebook, go check it out. Just search uh, Altitude Invasion. We also have a page dedicated to the website, and we do post a lot of our recent articles and web content on there, so you can kind of follow along. Billy's kind of new to the scene at Altitude. Yeah. Um, so let's, uh, let's hear from Billy. Perfect. Tell us a little bit about yourself. So uh, I grew up in Star Valley, Wyoming. Um, I'm a multi come from a multi generation of hunters. My grandfather father out, outfitted for quite a while, um, and ever since I was young, just have seen a lot of big bucks. My dad's taken a lot of different deer over the years, and I've just become kind of a mule deer nut. Um, since 2011, um, kind of wanted to change things up. I'm not the luckiest hunter. My dad usually brought home all the big bucks, <laughs> so I decided I wanted to learn how to hunt better and possibly give myself a, an increased chance at, at harvesting a, a good mature mule deer. So my, my background kind of started in 2011 of taking some really pretty good deer, but uh, always looking for, for that monster mealy. So I'm in a learning process and it's just good to, to be here and, and to learn from people that have uh, 
hunted the high country a little bit more than I have and hopefully can put some of this um, knowledge to use and be successful. So. so today we're mostly going to be picking Clay's brain. Um, so I don't know, let's just kind of jump into that. How long have you been hunting western Wyoming? Well, let me just, I'll give you an update when, or how I got started. I, uh, I hunted a little bit as a youngster. I hunted a little bit, but never really, I never really loved it, absolutely loved it. And uh, I think when I was 12 years old, I went out uh, on a ride and saw one of the biggest deer that I've ever remember seeing. Like mass, extra points. And mm-hmm. from a 12-year-old's mind, I don't know if it's mutated, but it's, <laughs> it's burnt into my brain. And it had to have been a 270-plus-inch deer. Yeah, I've never seen another deer of that caliber, but it, it always made me interested in big bucks from that point on so uh, I never really had anybody to take me other than my mom uh, and I just I, w- I would hunt small bucks and working raising kids I was only able to hunt one or two days a year and my kids started getting older and I started gaining more interest and in looking for for big bucks and I run into an old guy named Kyle Balsley and uh, he just kind of been my mentor I found a few nice bucks on the winter range and he wanted me to show him, and I'm like, why would I show you? You wouldn't take me deer hunting, and he goes, why wouldn't I? I'm like, all right, well, let's go look at let's go look at deer on the winter range. So uh, Kyle Balsley and I actually, he's probably my best friend or one of my best friends. And we Every year we, we go look at the winter range and consistently for the last 15 years at least, and uh, I started hunting high country mule deer with him, and he actually... Uh, I mean, he taught me how to glass. He taught me patience. Of, and I, I'm not a patient person, so... Um, he taught me a lot of good things. He taught me to hunt from the top down. and So I took everything that he taught me, and maybe I, I read Dave, Dave Long's book, and I read some stuff out of Eastman's, and um, I, I just started mutating what I learned from Kyle, and I started doing my own thing on a day-to-day basis. And I learned that I wanted to be mobile and move on a daily basis, and... That's what really nice. That's that's where it started, anyways. Right. Yeah, I, I owe a lot to Kyle Bolsley. Yeah, that's awesome. I think today we kind of want to go through sort of mule deer behavior because I feel like you've been chasing them for a long time and uh, have and you watch them all year. I know you spend a lot yeah. of time on the winter range. Yeah, definitely. So you understand sort of where they are at different times of the year in regards to hunting season. You spend a lot of time. Uh, preseason looking for them and have obviously had success yeah killing your target I can I just reading some of the comments and some of the things that people were interested in hearing and uh, my thoughts on it I can say that mule deer are probably one of the most unpredictable habitual animals out there so uh, (laughs) they are habitual habitual. (laughs) yeah I mean it's kind of an oxymoron but really they move around. They move around a lot. And they, I guess that's why they, they love hunting them, right? They stay in the same <laughs> basin, but uh, just one little thing might change their patterns completely. Right. So. Yeah. So let's kind of step through. I think we we'll kind of break this up as if we're kind of going towards the season or something like that, right? Where preparation, sort of your processes, and we'll kind of go through the different phases where the deer are going through physiological changes, and they're seeing pressure from hunters uh-huh. and kind of 
at what you've observed as far as their response and how to best find them. So, I don't maybe you can go over sort of your summer your scouting process. Like, what do you do? Well, when I first started scouting or preseason scouting, I'd start in July, and I I just come to realize that unless I'm learning new country, it's really a waste of time. Mm-hmm. You're not seeing fully developed bucks. You're seeing uh, bucks that aren't aren't completely developed and. You may recognize them from the start of their growth, but you may not too. Right. So I like to wait until August 1st is kind of my my starting point. Uh, I'll start August 1st. I'll, I'll go every weekend because I work five days a week. So right. I'll just go every weekend. I'll drive up there, hike in, look at this area over. Next weekend, I might look another area over. I might look another area over. So I'll just go, go until uh, I find what I want. Now I've been hunting the same buck for the last three years, so right. uh, I really don't go look at anything else. I mean, I do. Well, my son, Dad, can you get video of this buck for me? So I'll go take video of that buck. And right. uh, I know there's a couple other bucks in there, but I've been focused, really focused on this one buck for the last couple of years. So how do you how do you kind of pick which buck you're going to go after? Size, is that the biggest determining factor? Or no. Yeah, <laughs> part of it. Uh, it's part of it. It's important. I mean, who wouldn't want a buck with a great big frame, or who wouldn't right. want a buck with giant mass? So, uh, I I find a favorite. Just I find my favorite buck, and I stick with it. And I don't have the ability to abort this mission until this buck doesn't exist anymore. So, okay. I I stay focused, very focused on, on one animal. And, I don't. I don't like to fog my brain with. If, if I if I find a 240 inch deer, and then I turn around and go look at a 200 inch deer, I'm like, well, this 200 inch deer is easier access. So right. it could really distract you. Yeah. I, I I think it's important to to find a target buck, and stay focused on that buck until you either achieve your goal, or your goal doesn't exist. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's. That's wise. It's easy to get distracted. Yeah. Yeah. So, I, I mean, have you done that? You you go find a really great buck, and then you turn around and uh, you know what? Find I, a, a pretty nice buck. Exactly. So the pretty nice buck is easier to get to, exactly. easier access, less pressure. So you go after the pretty good buck. Yeah. Exactly. And then you forget about your. Yeah. So uh, you know, in, in my experience, you know, I found good mule deer, but it's a process of you know. Well, seeing what's all in the next basin and then uh-huh. you get preoccupied on that one and saying well there might be less pressure in here come hunting time so uh-huh. let's let's see what happens and then you know I've noticed that myself you become so preoccupied that with so many different options that a lot of time it's hard to choose so right. maybe it would be good to focus on this one but then so, again, um, with that, I mean, you're you're hunting the same deer years on end, yeah. um, so that'll give you more opportunity for the guy that's not able to do that. Let's say an out-of-state tag. Um, what would you suggest? Would you suggest you know maybe finding some, or would you just target one know, deer? I would target one deer. I I would I I like to stay focused, and I I watch people. This year, there were several people from Utah even a couple other states but oh yeah we found this buck in here and we really liked him and they went out with a three-year-old deer right so 
every everybody settles. Yeah, so, it's true. I don't think. Uh, well, I think that happened to me to me this year. I got well because mm-hmm. I checked a few different spots, found a few deer. There was uh-huh. one. And it, there's two deer that were really kind of a toss-up for me. Right. The one I was able to locate more often than the other, so he was kind of the one I decided to go after. Huh. And then, uh, but had they both been in sort of a similar place, and I was able to keep tabs on both of them, I, I don't know. Uh-huh. That's that's tough. Do you when you you shot your buck late in the season? Right. Uh, was were you done hunting when you shot your buck? What, what do you mean? Was I done? Were you, was I ready to be done? Physically and mentally, were you done deer hunting? Um, so th- I, Let me get to my point. My right. point is, when I was done deer hunting, I shot a six- or seven-year-old deer with a 25-inch frame and puny forks. Right. So I took a buck with weaker genetics at the end of my deer season. And I actually, I think it might have been the last day of the season when right. I shot my deer. So my point is, it, you can hunt all season long, and when you're done, when you've had enough mentally, physically... And you're done. It would be really great if we could manage ourselves to take a buck with weaker yeah. genetics. Um, so you, you took an old... I saw he was an old buck and he had weaker genetics. But it's still a big buck and a beautiful buck. And, and there's nothing wrong with that. So you can hunt for the biggest buck on the mountain all season long in the last day. Let's help our genetics out. Right. Yeah, so. I had it. If you, yeah, I was just kind of confused how you were wording that, but yeah, uh-huh. I uh, actually, and I, I scouted a bunch of areas early, and one of the t- the target buck I was kind of going after, he got killed. Mm-hmm. I knew he was dead. I I went back in to find that that other buck that I'd only seen once in the summer, and I couldn't turn him up. Uh-huh. And so yeah, essentially, I went into an area I hadn't even scouted. It was an area that I hunted as a teenager, and that, right. that I knew held mature deer. And I, I thought, if I can find a deer that meets certain expectations, I wanted to find an old deer, you know, a mature deer. And when I came across that buck, he fit the bill perfectly. Yeah. I mean, there was two days left in the season. I guess, yeah, I was ready to, I was kind of ready to, I was going in there as a last-ditch effort to find, find a mature deer to kill. So, I know at the end of the season, I'm a meat eater. Right. At the end of the season, I want to eat some meat. Oh, yeah. So if I can't get my object buck... The next best thing would be to help our genetics out and to keep to keep a weaker buck from breeding. So yeah, I think uh, I think it's a good plan to be honest. Oh yeah, for sure. Uh, what I don't like to see is people shoot four-year-old deer that's 190 or 200 inches. Right. That makes me sad. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you see a lot of that. I mean. You see a lot of three-year-old deer, 160, 170-inch three-year-old deer get killed, mm-hmm. and that's that's kind of the thing. It's hard because you're hunting public land, and, I mean, say you come from out of state and you've got your mindset on filling your tag or whatever. Right. But, yeah, I mean, it's best for your overall herd health and trophy quality to let those bucks grow a couple of years. Yeah. Sometimes definitely. it's tough. Especially that's, when, yeah. when you haven't really had opportunities to kill a lot of big deer and you want to... Mm-hmm. You know, it, you feel good when you tag out too. Yeah, so. yeah. There's a sense of pride that you get when you mm-hmm. harvest an animal, and the work involved, pack out. And yeah, for sure. Mm-hmm. Sort of preseason goes along. You've you've picked out your target animal. Um, then what? Like, how do you go about sort of patterning? You said they're habitual, but sort of uh, hard to predict, unpredictable. Unpredictable. So how, how do you find um, what their habits are and what's your process in uh, sort of doing that? 
get a good vantage and watch. Sit back and watch. So once I find once I find an object buck, I'll uh, I'll sit and watch him. And like this one, he had uh, two big basins, uh, and he, he I mean you would find him at random random parts of the basin. And uh, one year I could find him morning and night. The next year I could find him at night. The next year I could only find him in the morning. I've only watched him bed down twice in four years of watching that deer. Huh. So, I mean, he just, he's crafty. and I don't know, I don't know why I could never watch him bed down. Um, but, like, I mean, probably a square mile area that, and he would right. just show up in random spots. and So, so but I, I mean, I would just sit on my point and I would glass and, until he would show up and then I would watch him until he'd disappear. So with that, Clay, you talk about a basin. Were you using the same glassing point the whole time, or are you moving around the basin to get different? No, absolutely not. I don't, uh, yeah, you have to have a minimal amount of movement. So uh, you set your camp up where you can access, you actually, you set your camp up where you can access your vantage uh, in a stealthy manner. So, um, and then I don't move around a lot. I get my equipment out. I, I have my pack there excuse me, my day pack, and I, I set my equipment out, my spotting scope, everything's in order, so I can reach over and grab my binoculars, I could reach over and grab my tripod spot scope, so I have a minimal amount of movement as well. Um, yeah, same vantage, I use the same vantage, but I always pick my vantage where I can see 100% of the area that I can glass, or, I mean, the majority of the area. I don't pick a vantage where I can see this basin, but not that basin. I pick a vantage where I could see this basin and this basin, or three basins. So I pick the vantage that's going to best suit my glassing ability. So since we're talking about that, uh, do you mind going through your process of of how you glass? You know how you, you know, of course you're you're there before dawn. Um, mm-hmm. Are you glassing all day? Um, just what is your process? Um, well. It starts, I don't glass, I don't get on my vantage before the sun comes up. Okay. So, well, actually, I mean, because I'm right there, I, I just got to go 200 yards and I'm in my, my vantage. So I keep a uh, easy access to my vantage or I can sneak into my vantage. Um, but when, the, when I start seeing light come into my tent, get up, get dressed, grab my stuff, grab breakfast, and I go to my vantage and everything, like I said, I lay everything out. The first thing I do when I get into the, the basin, I sit down and I do a quick scan over everything with my eyes to see if I see anything moving. Then I do a quick scan with my binoculars to see if I see anything moving. Um, and then I start looking a little bit deeper and I'll, I'll do a, kind of a semi-fast scan over the complete area. And then I'll go back and scan all the tree lines. like at the bottom of the basin where the, the dense forest is, right. I'll glass all those tree lines. Once I glass all those tree lines, then I'll sit and pick everything apart. And uh, maybe I'll find an ear here or, or a horn here or a leg here. Yeah. Do, you, do you jump to your spotting scope at that point, or are you still just with your binoculars? Um, once I do a slow scan with my binoculars, I'll typically do another scan with my, bino- or with my spotting scope. Uh-huh. So. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, but then again, I'll do, I do frame by frame. And so, uh, 
you have the circle that's in your binoculars or in your spotting scope. By I hold it still and I look at everything in my binocular. Right. And then I move it down one frame and then move it down another frame and move it down another frame. Then I move it over one frame and then I scan back up mm-hmm. and then until I've completely covered it. And I do the same thing with my spotting scope. So, then I'll glass, I'll glass all morning until um, I'll find... Well, if I find a buck that is appealing, I'll take a little bit of video of it, or I might take a couple of pictures of it, and then I'll move on. Yeah, and look. Uh, typically, I like to, I like to, to have two glassing shifts in every setup. So, if I set my camp here, I'm going to have, typically, even your first day in, you walk in in the morning, so you have an evening glassing shift, and then a morning glassing shift. Right. If you don't see what you like. Well, I like to have two glassing shifts for the simple fact that sometimes you see different deer in the morning than at night. Yeah. yeah. So I might not see every deer in that in those two glassing shifts, but I'm going to see the majority of them. If I don't see what I like, I pick up my camp and I move to the next basins. And I'll do the same thing, have an evening glassing shift and then a morning glassing shift. And then I'll go pick up my camp and move on to my next. And the reason I do that is because I... Numbers. So I can look at, at 30, 40 bucks in the morning and then that evening or that evening and then the morning. I might not pick up every deer in that basin, but I'm seeing the majority. So it's basically just a numbers game. So I'm, I'm looking at as many deer as I can to find that buck that's got the magic combination of age and genetics. So, so once you find your target buck and you're talking about putting your camp by your vantage point, you just leave your camp. Are you just going to leave it there all season, or are you going to move it for hunting season? Like if you're in there going and scouting in August, and you find Um, the buck you want to kill, like say you're on this target buck that you've been hunting for the last three years, Mm -hmm. you're just going to leave your camp there, or are you going to move it further away during hunting season, or or not? I feel like if I can scout from, if I can come out of this camp and scout this buck all summer long, what's the point in moving it farther away? Because I can still get from my camp to my vantage. Right. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, so I, I, I don't feel like you really need to move your that's, camp. Yeah, that, that, that's Unless your deer moves in, by all means. So, yeah, and it has happened to me where I've been watching this buck from this vantage, and then all of a sudden he's a mile away over on another basin or in another basin. So then I've had to actually pick up my camp, move, move and find a different vantage. Yeah, that's one of the most frustrating things for me. I think hunting in this country is you'll go in this in this in August and you'll scout and you'll find these deer, uh-huh. and then you'll go in August thirtieth or whatever to set up for the archery hunt or the September thirteenth or whatever you know right before the season starts. Uh-huh. And there's a camp where you've been watching that buck all summer. Right. I'm sure, that's happened to you <laughs> a few times. Well. Communication's great. Uh, right. I I like to have my if my camp's here, I typically come back here. Right. Oh. Uh, I've never had anybody set their camp up directly in my bed, but I, I would probably communicate with them and say, "Hey, you snooze, you lose. I'll go find another place, but I'm hunting this deer. Right. And I'm staying focused on my target. So uh, I just want you aware." Yeah, if you want to hunt that deer, then that's that's your business. 
public land. Right. Exactly. But you're going to have some competition. Yeah. So. Yeah. Well, like like this year, you know, we scouting. I didn't ever run into another soul. Uh -huh. The night before the archery opener, <laughs> here comes everybody. Right? Oh yeah. And, and one of the bucks, that. It, he wasn't a target buck of mine, but he was a nice deer. He's an up-and-comer that I like to keep track of next year. Right. Um, but he used the saddle a lot, right? So, oh, so he would skyline he on occasion. Would, yeah. But shame on him. But <laughs> in order to see him, you'd have to get you'd have to be kind of in the saddle. Uh huh. Um, but he, uh, you know, the night before the archery season, I hadn't seen anybody, and then I camped back off of it because I knew that he used it. Right. And uh, there's another tent sitting right there in the saddle, you know. So, that, uh, I don't know. Was it, a Kui, was it a Kuyu tent? It wasn't, no. <laughs> oh, it wasn't. I, okay. I, talked, I talked to the guy and, <laughs> and, and kind of told him what was going on. And, and he'd never been in there before, his first time, and just kind of came and set up. But. So, I don't think you and I are too far apart right now. It wasn't, or this your, season, it wasn't your tent. No, it wasn't. I, don't, I can't afford a Kuyu tent. <laughs> Um, no, but I, I don't think we're too far apart, but I think, uh, in that direction that I think that you were, there was a tent that was a Kuyu tent. Right. It wasn't a saddle, similar yeah. to what you're describing, so. Yeah. No, I think, I think I know what you're talking about. It was a little bit off from there, so. Okay. It's amazing to me you guys sit up there all the time, know exactly where, that's cool. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I don't know exactly where. Well, Brad was, but I think he knows exactly where I was. <laughs> well, that's the cool thing about, you know, you guys know, you got, you know, awesome deer in those areas. Mm -hmm. Both hunting their target bucks. So it's cool. So, Clay, let's say you found that, uh, that target buck. Um, how do you prepare or what do you go about for opening morning to be set up? Same thing, just... Similar to your your preseason yeah, scouting, or I'll do similar. Like like again, I didn't go to my advantage. You you have to adjust your your hunting. You have to adjust your hunting spot. So like him, I had to move a mile to where I suspected that I would find him. Um, or by him, I mean Hank. But um, I had to move about a mile to where I could harvest him. You can't just. Based on what yeah, the deer did. Yeah, so you, your vantage is always a, kind of a sneaky spot. So, And then when you're ready to hunt them, you still have to be sneaky, but you have to put yourself in a closer position. And scouting, you don't want to be... Close. Yeah, you don't want to be that close. So, yeah, you'll have to adjust when you get ready to harvest. The way the seasons are here, you know, you're looking at a... For those of you who aren't familiar with Wyoming's hunting seasons, we've got a... Our, archery season opens the 1st of September... And then we've got a pretty liberal season, goes for about two weeks, and then you can put your arch, your bow down and pick up a rifle and, and go hunt them during both seasons. And So the 15th of September is when the rifle season starts. Right. Um, that time period, now I've lived in Utah and I've hunted Utah, and their archery season's pushed a little bit you know, forward to August 15th. So right around the 1st of September, that's when you're seeing the big changes in the deer, kind of. Uh -huh. They're putting on their gray coats, putting on their winter coats, and they're losing their velvet. Right. right. And that's a lot of guys that I know, they, they lose track of their bucks. It happens to me all the time. Um, 
you've been able to keep track of them all through August. You've got them, well, you think you've got them patterned, you think you know where they are, and then they disappear. Right. So where are they going and how do you find them again? I guess. Well, what, what's your experience? I guess if I knew where this one was going, I'd probably have a better <laughs> chance at harvesting them. But um, I think a lot of times, once they rub their velvet, they uh, they move down. They get into the timber and they they just become more elusive. Uh, they may turn nocturnal, or they may stay in the timber. Or you might catch them on the edge of the timber, and you just you do a lot of. T- Sometimes you'll get lucky and they won't change their patterns much at all, but the majority of the time they're going to become a little bit more elusive. So um, they'll stay behind a tree until dark, I guess. They'll stay behind a tree or they'll, they'll stay in a patch of timber. And they're real selective with their, their watering in there. Right. So. Do, do, do you think that's due to increased like, human traffic or what do you think it is? Do you think that it's changing? Like physiologically they're hotter so they're not staying out as long it's probably part of it well i think i think the heat is definitely a part of it so they'll stay shaded up a lot more uh, starts cooling off in the evening you'd think they'd come out but they just never show up sometimes so it just tells me that i think that they are up and moving they're just not in a visible place um, another thing like this year i i really started thinking i i thought that that the deer that i've been hunting gets up and moves because um he rubs his velvet or, or pressure, but really there's not a lot of pressure. There hasn't been in the last couple of years, a lot of pressure in there, but he, uh, he still disappears. Um, the only other thing that changes is, is that vegetation that he's eaten. So right around the first of September, that hill becomes a lot more desolate. It becomes a lot drier. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, I, and what made me think that the vegetation is changing as well was it all the deer were gone every deer on that hill were gone so it's not just him yeah it definitely dries out a little later up there and i think that's why the deer they kind of follow up from their winter range and they'll move up as the snow comes off so they can have that that lush green feed right and then uh as that starts to dry out maybe, maybe they're moving back down towards the creeks because they're getting better feed down there or yeah i mean at the crotch of every drainage i mean you can right. see where the that lush green is. Mm-hmm. So I've seen him. I've seen him. I've got video of him up in the rocks where there's not a stitch, of, not a blade of grass. And I think he, I think Hank was just down there licking rocks. He was definitely. It looked like he was foraging, but he was. Right. Well, there's seen, no grass I've, there. I've so watched him eat think, the lichens. And uh-huh. stuff he, he's the either eating lichen or uh, maybe getting salt off of the rocks. Uh-huh. So, yeah, that's interesting. Um, yeah, so, and then I've also seen a, a Hank on the steepest hill I've ever seen a deer on, and he was eating. I zoomed way in, and he was just eating. There's little short grass between all the little right. rocks in that rock slide, and he was eating that little little short grass. So younger, mm-hmm. younger green, little younger shoots tender, that come yeah. Up late. yeah. Mm-hmm. Huh. So that's pretty cool video actually watching walk on that steep hillside. Yeah, it sounds cool. Yeah. So, when we're, you've lost your buck, this has happened to me before, where I found a buck early, like we talked about, I, I lost track of him, and you say Hank moved a mile, like, are you kind of, are you expecting him to come back, or be in the same basin he was in, 
during the summer or are you going to go somewhere else? Like, are you going to go look in the adjacent basins or just kind of look all over and see if you can find them again? No, I, I don't. I try. I try to go. But I just have this. They don't leave their basin. They don't. They don't leave their home. Uh, they might change rooms. I, they might change rooms. They're still going to be in their house. I, I don't the deer that I've been hunting he disappears I don't think that he goes to a different basin I think he stays there I think he just stays in the timber mm-hmm. um, he would move around he would move him over here or over here so he had two basins that he had that they they joined but he he might be over here one day he might be over here the next day but he was always in his house right. so, so he, just, spent, he spent the summer in both Mm-hmm. And then, so you kind of were able to, to pattern, yeah, and, and, and all that. And then he, I don't know. He, they had one spot to water in in both those basins. So all the deer that I was watching in those basins would water in the same hole. Right. So uh, when he needed to water, I would somehow pick him up coming off of that water in the morning. When when he was foraging, he might eat over here or over here. But I could actually pinpoint what he typically liked to eat. So, how often would you notice him come to water? About every I've noticed it about every three days or every so. Every three days. Yeah. Every three days, I would typically catch him coming off of the water hole. Mm-hmm. There was one deer actually that uh, laid right by that water hole every day. That was his. He huh. he bedded in the same spot every day, and uh, some of them will bed in the same spot every day. Some of them, like him, I could never. If he, I could never find him in his bed. I could never. So, I mean, he might bed here one day and might bed over there, but I never seen him. So, I never saw him. So, how could I? How could I say? So, how many years did you watch Hank? Uh, four years total. Four years. Yeah. And Clay was telling us when we showed up, he's telling us some stories about him. He was what a three by four the first year you noticed him. Yeah, three by four. I actually, I was in pursuit of a different deer, and I looked down, and, and I saw him with another buck laying about 200 yards from the deer I was after. And I glassed him, and I said, oh, he's going to be a good buck in a couple of years. I didn't know he'd be that yeah. Yeah, It's amazing how they change. Yeah, definitely. The year before, what did he end up scoring, 220-something? 223, I think. And the year before, how big do you think he was? I think he was a solid 200. He went to a more typical frame. He was real even, and uh, had one or two cheaters on each side. Uh-huh. So on, on his right side, he actually had about a one-inch drop time where that little broke-off nub is there. Oh yeah, yeah. We had a. Um, my dad lived right up against the forest line there in Star Valley. So uh-huh. growing up, we'd always have deer down in the winter, and always the same deer Excuse year me. after year. So you'd kind of watch them. It typically is pretty easy to tell, you know, hey, yeah. there's this buck again this year. But we had we had one buck, and we watched him, I think, since he was a two-point. You know, you can go back and look at pictures of his face and stuff. And, uh-huh. and he was, uh, when he was like three and four, he had, he was just typical frame, but he had twin cheaters off both sides on his, uh, you know, right before his split on his G3. Right. And... Uh, so then one year he just didn't come back or we thought he didn't 
but there was this 28 inch straight typical hanging out that really kind of a different configuration a little bit. Uh -huh. um, he's bigger on the back and weaker on the fronts and and uh, got looking at pictures and it was the same same deer. You were, was, you could tell by the cape yeah. markings. You tell by his by his face and his cape and, and his behavior. Uh -huh. You know, he, he kind of had a routine behind the house in the winter where he'd right. he'd bed and he'd come out and go and all that stuff. But uh -huh. it was in a, he's he's the most drastic that I've ever seen. Yeah. But it was kind of interesting. You never know what they're going to turn into. Right. So or hey, the old man that the first year I saw him was one of his best years, and he was only a three or four year old deer at that point. Right. So, and then the next year, he was just a puny 160-inch deer. Huh. But, and I, I, I think uh, Matt Eastman was the one that actually said, do you think this is the same deer? And I'm like, his eye guards were always a no-brainer. So, right. um, But he went from well over 200 the first year because he had a huge inline. And, uh, he went from over 200 to 160, back up to over 200. So, And I don't know. I don't recall the winter if it was huh. real harsh winter or maybe it was in, that he in, went into injury related or something happened. It could have been, yeah. So and you just found that deer again, right? Yeah, I did. I got some really good pictures of him the other day. So how many years of pictures? Did you six. Six. Six years. Yeah. That's that's pretty awesome. We're talking about opening day. How you're opening out. day? Yeah, opening day. Um. <clears throat> so I don't, what questions do you have in regards to that? Billy, I know, I mean, you, you found, say you found your buck again, um, or not, you're going to kind of stick in that same area and, and yeah. follow those patterns? Um, well, I, I think uh, if you lose your buck but prior to the opening day of the rifle season, first of all, you should have done some more preseason scouting and see if you could turn them up in another location or in another room in his basin. Um, right. If you can't, then you really have no choice but to uh, beat the timber. And I know you can't, it's mule deer hunting in the timber is a lot, I mean, it's, it's luck. Yeah. It, beca it doesn't matter how good you are. Once you start hunting them in, in the timber, it becomes a game of luck. Oh, yeah. So. Yeah, I've had, I get kind of bored sometimes, so I'll go still hunt through the trees and stuff. Uh -huh. um, not if I have a target buck and kind of have his pattern. Right. But. If I don't have anything else going on, sometimes I'll go do that. Mm -hmm. But uh, deer, they've got to be the hardest critters to do that. I've had success killing elk that way. Right. Sneaking through the trees and, and jumping them or even coming up on them bedded. But deer, uh, I don't know. They're always well, one step ahead of me. Let me just tell you what you take. You run the risk of pushing them out of there forever. Right. So if you bump him in the timber, he's gone. Oh, yeah. Good boy. Oh. I, I, I think hunting them in the timber is, is too risky. If you if you can't turn him up, you could find a track on the ground, and that works in the desert. You can find a track, stay on the track, and track him. Right. I've got friends that do it successfully in the desert. Right. And maybe there's some guys that can do it in the timber, but you'd almost have to have fresh snow to do that, though. Mm -hmm. It'd be kind or of some odd. moccasins, maybe. <laughs> or, and and you got to be scent free, and I don't know how you smell after. Spending two weeks up there, but I'm not smelling very good. Yeah. So, so yeah, I don't advise anybody. I really, I mean, you can go hunt. The, I don't want to tell anybody what to do, but you can go hunt the timber if you'd like. Right. I just don't think it's, it's not going to bring you your best odds. And, no. and if you want odds in your favor, I would find a spot where you think that he could be. And I would sit there and wait for a couple of days or uh, if you don't 
end up successful there, then I would change your vantage and set up somewhere else where you could catch them on the edge of the timber. Because so I do know that they do like to look at the edge of the timber. They'll walk to the edge of the timber and then, I don't know if it's instinct or, but they say, I ain't going out there. So they'll stop at the edge of the timber and look around and see what's out there. But they sometimes they just won't go in it. Yeah. Well, I think, you, you know, if you, ha- if you want to kill a specific buck or a really big buck, you're killing your odds by going into the trees and trying to get yeah. one. Because first off, I've, I've misjudged a lot of deer like that. I mean, the really right. big, big ones, you know. But you can get bucks anywhere from 165 up to mid to high 180s. Uh-huh. And depending on the angle, sometimes you can just misjudge them. And then right. they're often moving, so you're taking... A Texas heart shot. Right. They're moving away from you. Or no offense, Texas. But. Yeah, no. But yeah, I think... Especially if you've got one where you kind of know where he is, I, I, I would stay away mm-hmm. from the from getting in there and busting him out yep. all together. Yep. And then who knows where he is. You're, you're square one, but worse. Right. You haven't been able to see him on their summer when they're uh-huh. visible. So. so we've kind of touched on this a little bit, but you know, let's say that you know something happens, we can't control all the variables. Let's say another hunter walks through the basin or something like that. Then you... the, the buck's kind of been gone. I've actually had this happen. Um, you know, do they return or have you seen them return? Yeah. Like if oh, you... yeah. I've seen them get pushed out and they'll go into hiding. Uh, sometimes it's, it's two days. Sometimes it's two weeks. Um, sheep herders come through with, with a bunch of sheep, mm-hmm. come right through the basin. The deer kind of disappear for a little bit. Um, they come back. They do come back. So, um, late in the season, sometimes if you're hunting a target buck and he disappears all through season, you got the last week available, you go hunt. Uh, there's a good chance that he could come back. My seen it with the 190 inch deer this year, that I hope makes it till next year. Uh, for one of my friends, because <laughs> you already got your target. Back. Well, <laughs> I just kind of hope he dies on the winter range so I can start hunting again <laughs> instead of deer watching. How often? I mean, you've been hunting the range for a long, a lot of years. How, do you just kind of have? You've probably been all over it. Right? I have. I have actually I've backpacked, started on the south end. and well, Sometimes if I've got extended vacation that year, which I sometimes I I exhaust my vacation. By December, I'm down to zero usually. So mm-hmm. um, I'll start on the south end. I'll uh, go in the trailhead on the far south end. I move every day, like I said, giving myself an evening and a morning glassing shift. And then I'll come out a different drainage, hitchhike back to my truck, and then go the next weekend, start where I left off, go in, do a a two or three day trip, and uh, I'll just do that. And I've done it from one end of the range all the way to the other. Um, I do have my favorite spots. But I will say, uh, on any of the major mountain ranges that hold mule deer in Wyoming, sometimes I find a big buck here, sometimes I find one... There's no rhyme or reason. Right. Um, they could be anywhere. And everybody says, well, where do you go? Well, it doesn't matter where I go because pick a spot. Pick a spot in a range. And go to the peak and glass. You're going to find mule deer. Right. Um, it doesn't matter where I go because the, those deer are, are all throughout that range. They're all throughout the other ranges. So it doesn't matter where I go if I've been successful it doesn't matter because 
that deer could be 10 miles away, or not that deer, but another deer, similar caliber, could be 10 miles away. Just pick a spot, find a spot, yeah. and uh, glass. Glass your butt up. If you don't see what you like, move. Yeah, I get, I get people asking me that. I think a lot of times, as hunters and a lot of times people who are new to hunting think it's location, location, location. Which to a point it is, you got to be within their range mm-hmm. and in that habitat and in, you know, mule deer country. Right. But you're not, by learning an area well, you're not going to kill an exceptional deer there every year. If you want right. to focus on... Well, you're probably never going to kill an exceptional deer every year anyways. Right. But you're not going to see them. Either. Right. You know, right. So, maybe every 10 years, somebody in your group's going to yeah. kill a big, big buck. Right, because they happen to be in there. But I think to be really successful, to consistently find big, exceptionally big mule deer, you've got to do exactly what you said. You've got to move through the country, through places where you know deer will be, where you've seen them in the past. And sometimes they're in easy-to-access areas. Sometimes they're not just kind of when that buck matures and where he is and where he comes from. Definitely. So, So, yeah, stay mobile. Uh, and it, it doesn't matter where your friend goes or it doesn't matter where Joe killed a 230 inch deer last year any of the outfitters up there that hunt that country they go where the big deer are and you'll see them this ridge or that ridge and they're there just look but yeah, a lot of my friends get mad because I always say there's 180 inch deer in every basin all you have to do is apply yourself with your binoculars or with your glass and they're like, oh, there is not, there is not a, well, I took a couple of friends with me this year, and I, I tell them, there, if you apply yourself and sit down, you're more than likely going to find 180-inch deer in any given basin. You have to apply yourself. You have to sit down, and you have to glass efficiently. Well, after about two hours of hunting, I showed them the first 180-inch deer. So, I just... <laughs> And so oh. on from there. And I didn't know that deer was there. And right. So the next day we go and we find, well, we, maybe we didn't, well, we knew there was, we wound up running into 190-inch deer later that afternoon. But uh, that next morning we were glassing and found two deer that were very mature, uh, seven, eight-year-old deer mm-hmm. on the hill. And so, but they were both 170-inch uh, bucks that were 28 inches wide. Right. So um, maybe brothers even. Mm-hmm. Just old deer that won't yeah. ever really be that big. Right. So, but uh, my, they were dominant bucks, definitely. And uh, on a, they're there, they're there, and you just got to apply yourself with your binoculars to find them. Mm-hmm. So as, as you move, as we move kind of through the season, here the seasons will go. I mean, a few years ago they ended the end of September. This now they're kind of going a week longer. Um, in some some units, they'll go tell about the fifteenth of October. Mm-hmm. Are you noticing very much behavior change from the fifteenth of September to the fifteenth of October? Fifteenth of September to the fifteenth of October. Yeah, like the kind of the span yeah. of the rifle range. Are they? Would well, it, you, you, it would be great if you could set up. September first is a big day. Opening day is a big day for harvest. A big deer. Um, there, there's so much competition out there. There's bound to be some lucky hunters, but September fifteenth is a very important day. I would say, if if you had one day to hunt all year, be that day. 
it would be September 1st. Um, or September 15th, yeah, September 15th. So other than that, um, from September 15th, the deer are going to start. September 16th, they're going to be a little more elusive. September 17th, they're going to be even more uh, because they just continually get pressured. The first week's done, the pressure starts going away. The second week's done, the pressure lightens up even more. And the third week of the season, you're starting to see those bucks come back into into they're coming back into their bedroom or into their house. Right. So showing back up again. Right. So they're starting to show up, but they're cautious. Um, but you're starting to see them a little bit more on the. When do you think uh, the migration starts to happen? Well, you know, I think I think the snow does push them out of the high country a little bit, but I think it's just instinctual, anyways. Um, they're used to they're used to uh, breeding. They're used to rutting on this ground, and they're going to be back there for the rut next year. Right. And back here, but uh, so I think every year you can count on your deer. Or if you find a buck two years ago and he's still alive, I'll guarantee you you will see him in the same basin. If uh, when the deer rut, when they start their migration, uh, when the, when the snow starts pushing them out they start their migration they're going to rut in the same spot every year i think they'll rut in the same spot every year and they're going to winter in the same spot every year every now and then there's always an exception to the rule there's always there's always that exception but um they they have their house they have their summer home their ruddy home and their winter home their winter home hey guys thanks again for listening We'll be back next week with the second installment of our conversation with Clay. We'll talk about winter range bucks, uh, winter range ethics, and we'll go over a couple of questions that were submitted to us on Facebook and uh, ramble on a little bit more about hunting high country mule deer and their behavior. I really appreciate you guys taking the time to listen to this. Uh, I hope it can provide you with some good information and, and entertainment to help us become more successful uh, high country hunters.